Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Jen Brenneman, who is a director at MongoDB focused on learning and development. Previously, she was a director at Teach for All, which is an organization that works to ensure that every child has access to an equitable and excellent education. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jen. Matt, thanks for having me. I'm going to kick us off by talking about your time at Teach for All. Can you share with our audience a bit about how you first got started with that organization? Sure. So I got started with Teach for All because I was a Teach for America teacher back in the day. It was my first job out of college in 2001. And I taught in the South Bronx for a total of four years. And then I went to work for an education publisher. And while I was there, uh, Teach for All got started uh, sort of supporting with entrepreneurs in other countries who wanted to do something similar to Teach for America in their home country in a way that was relevant to their culture, their economic situation, whatever it might be. And I was just really interested in that. I've always been really interested in other countries. And, you know, somehow one thing leads to another. And I, uh, I ended up found, helping to found a team that was focused on bringing teachers together for collaboration across countries. So I, you know, a great example of the kind of wonderful moment I experienced very early in my time at Teach for All was um, bringing a Latvian teacher to New York City and watching them see students work in small groups for the first time. Because Soviet education system was very fixated on rote learning, the idea that students would talk to each other and learn collaboratively was wildly innovative to them. They'd never heard of it. And that was sort of the value of peer-to-peer -peer learning for that teacher community. So that's what brought me there. And that's also what got me into leadership development because around that time, there was this nascent idea that teachers were actually leaders that the difference between a good teacher and a great teacher wasn't their ability to teach or master the subject matter. It's their ability to lead and conceive of themselves as leaders of the students, of the school, of a change movement in a community. And uh, I would say that shift in perspective shifted everything for me on some level. When you go back to your time making the shift to from, call it more of an education background to more of a corporate background, what sticks out for, from how you were feeling during the time, maybe what made it easier than you would have expected and maybe where there was more struggle than you would have expected? Sure. So the change from, from working in a more education background to a corporate background, I would say was easy on some level because humans are humans. Wherever you go, they're basically going to have similar interpersonal issues and similar needs and everybody's got to, you know, earn money to eat and keep a roof over their head. So a lot of things about it are actually fundamentally similar, uh, which is great. I think it sees people up for success in lots of domains. But the thing that I think was surprisingly difficult for me personally was what a wider panoply of motivations there are in a corporate environment. In education, everybody's there for the kids, basically, or they claim to be there for the kids. But you don't have that sort of baseline, we're all here for X reason. 
you know, I work for a database company. I don't think everybody can pretend to be like deeply invested in databases. You know, everybody's sort of got a different thing that makes them tick. A lot of problem solvers, a lot of people who like closing deals and feeling like they win, a lot of people who like to just help other humans. Like just the range of motivations is much wider, uh, which is more fun Mm. in some ways and also disorienting in other ways because it's just you never know what brand of motivation you're going to get on a given day. When you think back from the lessons that you take most I guess, regularly from your time at Teach for All, Teach for America, that you utilize in the work that you do now? Do you have one or two lessons that pops up constantly that you're either referencing back to, or it's because of a moment that you had that you think you're successful in the role you have now? That's an interesting question. I think there are a couple of things that I probably took. One is the need for adaptability. You know, I find that the thing that's most similar between my former role and my current role is that both companies are growing quickly, very interested in doing the right thing and adapting in order to meet whatever that new thing is. I think I wouldn't do well in an institution that's like highly established and sort of, I hesitate to say bureaucratic because it sounds so pejorative. I don't think it necessarily is. I think some people really function well with clearly defined roles, clearly established processes. Everybody likes guidelines within which to work. It creates freedom for a lot of people. Um, I don't gravitate toward those kinds of roles. I think I like a place where things are a lot squishier and a lot harder to figure out and a lot more ambiguous. And I think of hypergrowth tech and sort of hypergrowth nonprofit, which is what it felt like at Teach for All, have that ambiguity in common. And I think recognizing it for what it is helped me out a lot because you sort of let go of trying to find those guidelines. Then hmm. You go, oh, right. Ambiguity is the thing. Okay, cool. I can do that. And once you let go of that, it frees up mental space for other things. So I think that's probably the most useful lesson I took away. It's just that moment of self-awareness of like, oh, right. I like it when there are no rules. I like it when we've got to figure it out and get our hands dirty together. Like that's a thing that I motivates me. And once I figured that out, that made things a lot easier. So you mentioned in one of your earlier answers, you talked a little bit about your current firm and fast growing tech and database and all of these very intense things. How do you guys think about developing the leaders of tomorrow that can be successful in those hyper growth tech face facing type of roles? Yeah, I think one of the things that we think about a lot is just how important on-the-job learning is. And we sort of know this in L&D circles, that there's a 70-20-10 rule and most of your learning happens on the job. But it's almost in this sort of environment, there isn't time for other kinds of learning. You know, we don't have the luxury of people going off on like a, I don't know, 10 day retreat or whatever to find themselves like people that would be very stressful for people. And so the idea that with the support of a manager and the support of a culture that says, yes, learning is important, growing is important, experimentation is important, taking time to reflect is important, figuring things out for you and how it works for you is important. And you're going to do all that in the course of doing this job and you're going to learn and grow and it's going to be a tough six months through a promotion or a shift to a different team or whatever it might be, but you're going to get there and we support you. There's something about that environment I think is really beneficial and sort of special about this place in particular. Hmm. 
when when we were talking before we hit record, one of the things that I took a note on was the term career. And, and we talked about how little you care for the term career. You said people love to ask you about your career and that the note that I took is that it implies that you plan for things to turn out this way. And you told me that you didn't really have a plan. So I would love for you to elaborate a little bit on your, I guess, rationale for not having a plan and, and how it turned out for you and, and why you think um, how little you care for that term. Yeah, I think it's so funny how people are like, well, you know, in my career, blah, blah, blah. Most of the people I know just like got the job they could get coming out of college. I know I felt like I went, I went for a job I was interested in, but like, you know, we always joke on the HR team. Nobody was like, you know, in elementary school writing the, what I want to be when I grow up and like picked working in HR. You know, we all think of Toby from the office, like nobody wants to do that. And yet here we are and we like it, but we're good at it, you know? And so what's the shift between a career has this feeling to me of, uh, that like work defines you, and that I've got this goal. If I don't get to be like chief people officer someday, I failed or whatever. And I just don't think that's how most people think. And I don't think that's how I think. I think most of us are like, did I wake up today excited to do the work? Did I go in and do something good and positive? Do I feel proud of what I achieved? Was I helpful to someone? You know, those are the kinds of things I think people mark their lives by rather than achieving the title. I that clearly there are some people who are heavily oriented to a title. They, you know, woke up knowing they wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon someday and became an orthopedic surgeon and now do orthopedic surgery. And they're very happy with that. Godspeed. But I just think for a lot of us, it wasn't that neat. And sure, if we all knew when we were 12, what we know now, that like orthopedic surgery would have been very satisfying. Okay, sure. We would have gone back and done it. But in point of fact, like, you know, can I feed my family? And can I feel proud of what I do is what I think most people are really interested in. And so I don't have a big title goal. I have a goal around how I want people to feel because they got to work with me or the impact I want to have on the culture or how I want to set up a leadership development program that isn't like other leadership development programs because it's going to give people a chance to figure out who they are rather than who the company wants them to be or whatever it might be. And I think those kinds of things are much more motivating than some sort of abstract career goal, um, which is why I will never be able to go speak in someone's sixth grade class about like, you know, my career, or do the career fair thing. Cause it's like, I don't know, I'm going to go and be like, I don't know, you don't want to work in HR, but it's coming for you kids. Look out. Like it's I'm clearly not that person. <laughs> All right. So in that answer, you talked about goal setting and, and what you want out of it and you want people to feel this way. So how do you think about goal setting? Like, are you thinking about it? This is what I want to accomplish in the next week. This is what I want to accomplish in the next month. This is my annual goals. Are you very regimented with your goal setting? No, it's really, it's, it's, it's a hard thing, for, I think, for some of the people on my team who are very goal oriented and like want a numeric goal and want a concrete deadline. I'm just, it's not my orientation. I think as a manager, you have to meet people where they are. So I need to make it my orientation. That's my job to make sure that people have clearly defined goals, but it's work for me to do it because it's not what I'm personally motivated by. Uh, I tend to have very value-based leadership development kinds of orientations. I think if people know who they are and what they believe in, it helps them make great decisions. And I'm pretty clear on what I believe in. And I think it helps me make decisions that I feel good about in a way that setting a goal doesn't. 
not that the goal is bad. The decision comes first based on the values. And then the goal comes after it as a way to articulate the thing that I've decided. But the decision comes from the values for me, not from setting a goal. But like that's just there to prove whether or not it was a good decision. When you think about the people on your team and I guess as a two-part question, what you hope that they'll feel working for you and for the organization, but also what are you looking for out of them? Like, what do you hope that future leaders have on your team and maybe broader at the organization? What are the skills that you think are crucial right now in the moment that we're sitting in? Well, first of all, just feeling on the team. I always want people to feel like they have a home. You know, they don't have to come and be performative. It's not, they're not trying to fill some ideal that someone else set out for them. I want them to figure out how to be the best version of them they can be. Um, And I do think to some extent that is what the world requires, that people who don't know how to value who they are and what they bring are never going to really meet their potential. And what difference does it make with skills you have if you can't articulate them and really maximize them? So that feels like step one. Step two, I think, is, is having people who know what helps them function best. Mm-hmm. Like I, the goal thing is a great example. Knowing, being able to have the conversation between me and my team member that they want a concrete goal with a deadline and me being able to say, it's not my forte, but I'm gonna try and we're gonna have to work together to do it. That actually fosters better collaboration between us on the team and it leads to better conversations it leads to more direct feedback it leads to uh less miscommunication essentially which i think leads to better outcomes and so i think foundationally you know i'd love to be able to tell you i think communication skills are the most important or whatever but like i find when people don't know themselves and what parameters they need to thrive in it limits everybody and the sooner we get all those parameters out on the table and help everybody start to work with them and work together, the better the team functions and can figure out how to maximize one another. I think it's my responsibility as a leader to look at the skills and the motivations and the things my team wants to do and constantly reconfigure to make sure everybody's doing the thing they're most excited about. I think it makes people nervous to do that because there's a fear that everybody will want to do the same thing and then some of the jobs won't have owners but I've just never found that to be the case. So last thing that I really wanted to make sure to talk about is also something that we talked about before hitting record. And we talked about the fact that as a working parent, um, it's affected your trajectory in your career. And you told me that your growth as a leader has impacted your parenting and then vice versa. Can you share a little bit more about with our audience about that specific topic? Yeah, I um, I was listening to a podcast once called Startup, and the guy who hosts the podcast, Alex Bloomberg, said, no one tells you when you become a parent, you're going to get worse at your job. And I was like, Alex, you speak truth, because you just don't have the same amount of time, and you can't pretend that you do. So there are a couple of natural consequences to that. One, you get better at saying no because some things are just more important than other things. And if you can't be a workaholic anymore, I mean, you could be a workaholic, but then you'd never see your children, right? So you really have to make hard prioritization choices around how present do I wanna be with my family? 
how present do I want to be with my job? And what's truly essential to both of those things? And what do I have to jettison? And acknowledge that there are days when, like last night, my kid had a nightmare, woke me up at 4.15 in the morning to come get in bed with me. I couldn't go back to sleep till like 5.30. I'm going to be a train wreck by 3.30 this afternoon. I'm not going to get anything done. And I know it. It's because I'm a parent. And the sooner I let go of some sort of artificial ideal that I'm going to be able to perform at this like amazing level for 10 hours a day or whatever, the sooner I let that go, the better I'm going to perform, actually, because that ideal is holding me back. So the main thing I learned as a parent is that one, all of these ideals are fake. We somehow learn them when we're young, that like if we don't work X number of hours a day at X percent capacity, we're a failure. Not true. And two, that we have the power to prioritize. And that power is unleashed when we let go of some of these ideals. And ditto with the parenting. You know, the number of nights I've done, I've done a really crappy job with my children because I didn't let go at work. And I let that irritating conversation or that email I read on my phone at nine o'clock when I had no business looking at my phone, but I did and I read it and then I was grumpy. Like you let these things seep in because you can't help it. You're just one person. So it's not like pretending that work and, and family life are separate for me. It's admitting that they're not separate in order to create better boundaries. But like, oh, this is going to impact my mood here. This is going to impact my mood here. Let me not pretend that they won't. They will. How do I organize my life to minimize the negative impact and maximize the positive impact? I'm in a great mood today because my kids are at school and I am at the office. And that is wonderful for me. I get to let go of the parenting thing and do something else. And that, it's just really, I think, made me better because I was just working to work before I became a parent. And now I'm working to actually get the thing done so I can go home and like do the other parts of my life. Well, as a, uh, a new father, I will personally thank you for that answer and also think that it is a perfect spot to shift to the final two rapid fire questions. Thank you for all of the answers thus far. The first rapid fire question, though, that I get to ask all of our guests is this. If you could describe your leadership style in one word, what would that word be? I'm going to answer this, but can I just say, like, I don't think there's a way to answer this. It isn't going to feel arrogant to me. Like, isn't it? <laughs> here's the way I lead. Like, it feels very, I don't know. So I'll say it, but I like want to caveat it. I don't mean it to sound terrible. Um, I'm very authentic. Hmm. I can only be me at all times. And so that's the way I lead. Like, I'm just being me and I need everybody around them to be them, around me to be them. And then everybody gets to be authentic and we'll figure it out from there. But like, I can't not do that. So I think that's my word. Got it. Didn't, didn't even catch a hint of arrogance in that answer. So I will shift to the final rapid fire question, which is what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Um, my dad told me two things when I was young that have proven to be true a thousand percent. Number one, your attitude is your choice. So make of that what you will. And two, learn public speaking because you will always be employable. Mm. Well, learning public speaking and being true to yourself and all of the other wonderful tidbits that you gave us, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Jen. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Wow, I am an ardent social media avoider. So you can't find me there because I just saw it when it came out back in the early 2000s and said, no, that's not for me. So you're going to have to find me on LinkedIn. 
I am on LinkedIn, um, or you can just email me. That's easy. Jennifer.Brenneman at bongodb.com. I'm there all the time. Feel free to reach out. Well, thank you for all of the great insight. I think LinkedIn is very happy that you do not consider that a social media network. Um, and I want to thank all of our wonderful listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer, also on LinkedIn. You can find our show on Instagram at Ability Sims, and you can find our organization at ability.com. I want to thank Jen again for joining us on this episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini MBA, The Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We want to thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.